You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. You know what that sounds like to me? What's it sound like? It's Wes. Sounds like any artist out there that want to be an artist, want to stay a star and don't have to worry about the executive producer being all in the videos, all in the records dancing. Come to death row. That's what that sounds like to me. And Walker. Uh, I take it by your blank expression. You might not be very familiar with that quote. Wes, I'm not going to lie to you. I have no clue what you're talking about. It's one of the most famous in your hip-hop head. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. I even knew uh, that. I'm I'm sure you did. is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep the text coming on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. Hit us up on the socials. Hit that follow button to see all the shenanigans behind the scenes, show previews, all that good stuff. WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram, at Westbrian underscore 72, at HTB underscore Josh, and at Walker Mail, and most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter and Instagram. We got a lot to get to. Let's get to it. It's time for the Campus Kona. All right. We've talked a good deal about the court storming in the Wake Forest Duke matchup. But let's talk about the actual basketball game. The Deeks get the win, 83-79. to It had 14 ties, 14 lead changes. Each team holding the advantage for more. Uh, I don't know what that says. I don't know how they wrote that that way. But anyway, the two teams combined <laughs> to shoot 56% from the field. Duke made 53% of their field goals from the floor, while Wake Forest connected on 60% of their field goals. Duke won the rebound battle, and the Demon Deeks have now won two consecutive games, home games against the Blue Devils for the first time since 2008-2009. It also marks the highest-ranked victory for Wake Forest since their 113-101 overtime win over the number 7 Blue Devils on February 25th of 2020. Wake is 46-5 at home since the start of the 2021-2022 season. Wake Forest had 14 assists on 29 made baskets. Kyle Filipowski had 17 points. Jared McCain also had double figures in the game for the 10th time in his last 11 games. 15 points, 5 boards. Hunter Salas had a monster game. 29 points, 11 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3 to go with 6 boards. Fellas, what do we think of this basketball game? What kind of statement did Wake Forest make? Starting with you, Walker. I think that Wake Forest desperately needed this win because their opportunities, they were running out. They had another game against Virginia. That would matter. And then, of course, they would end. Excuse me. That's the Duke schedule. But their opportunities were running out with who they had left on the schedule. And the fact that Wake was able to take care of this one at home after losing to Virginia by the field goal that they did, by losing to North Carolina by 20 points the way they did earlier, this is the one they needed. And now I think, I think this is what Joe Lenardi and Bracketology needs to see before they have the Deben Deacons in the field of 68. So monster win, clearly. And they came out, they were ready to go. Duke never wavered too much. Like Duke was always there, right? And Kyle Filipowski, 
himself hit a monster three to keep them in that game at the very end. Salas gets fouled, hits a couple of free throws to put the game on ice, and so they were able to combat any of the runs that Duke did have or in some of those big made field goals. But big time win. Steve Forbes needed it. It's his big, Fiddy alluded to it earlier. It's his biggest victory since he's taken over as the uh, head coach for Wake Forest, and I'm glad you were able to do it because I want to see the Deacons in the NCAA tournament. J.D., what say you? What were your thoughts on this matchup? You got your dancing shoes? I sure do. Welcome to the tournament, Steve Forbes, Wake Forest. Um, man, it was fun game, fun atmosphere. I love I love seeing Wake Forest good because I, I, I know how hard it can be to go into that building uh, it told, you know, Flounder got an education lesson when he learned about tie-dye nation and what it means whenever that, that, that fan base is pumped up. It was the first sellout lesson. Was it seven years, I think it was, officially? So it was a great game, great atmosphere. Was glad to see Wake Forest rose to the occasion, and, and then they surpassed it. And I think this is going to be a team that's in a position to be a double buy in the ACC tournament. They've got as good a starting five as any team in the league. I would not roll. I would not rule out a run for them in Washington D.C. in three weeks. Yeah, uh, I was excited by the game. Obviously, I never had a doubt, man. I just felt like at home, coming in with that 14 and 0 home record, I just feel like they play like the X Men at home, man. I mean, the, the starting five is already talented. When they get at home, they're just comfortable uh, and they play free. So we talked about Hunter Salas, and I think uh, a conversation that can be had right here after that matchup and the way that he played because over the last five games, he's averaging 23 points per game, uh, fourth in the ACC in scoring. It was his 13th 20-point game of the season. And when you look at R.J. Davis and what he's done this year, coming down the stretch, the production as far as the totality is still there. The field goal percentage, though, we're, we're going to get into that and just wondering if the ACC player of the year race isn't as wide as it once was and then has Hunter Salas now entered his name into the chat. So to give you a quick rundown, R.J. Davis, Carolina, his team is first in the ACC. But since January 30th, he is averaging 20 points per game, but shooting 35% from the field, 37% from three. But overall this season, he's first in scoring, 13th in assists, sixth in three-point field goal percentage, second in three-point field goals made. And he also had his highest scoring output of the season and tied for the second most in the ACC with the 36 he dropped against Wake and Hunter Salas, a game in which Salas had 18 points. But for Hunter Salas, he's fourth in the ACC in scoring. As I said, 13 20-point games. And in ACC ranks, he's third in scoring, fourth in field goal percentage, tied for ninth in three-point field goals made, and second in minutes played. Did Hunter Salas, in your mind, close the gap even a little bit in this ACC player of the year race? He absolutely closed the gap. I still think R.J. Davis is the driver with this award, but Hunter Salas did everything he could to try to get in this conversation. The problem is there are going to be more marquee matchups, at least for UNC, because they have Duke at the end. We'll see what happens in the ACC tournament, but here's what Wake Forest has left. On the road against Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, we know how much they've struggled on the road this season. I expect them to beat the Fighting Irish. In Blacksburg, it's going to be a big-time game for them, especially with their struggles on the road. We'll see if they can get out of Blacksburg with a victory. Then it's Georgia Tech, and it's Clemson. Clemson is by far the best matchup they have left in the regular season. And so if Hunter Salas continues to put somewhere close to these numbers, let's say averages 20 a game on still the same efficiency, I think if R.J. Davis gets back to what he was doing, then R.J. is going to come away with this award, especially if you have 
a big-time performance against the Duke Blue Devils in Cameron Indoor Stadium sure. this go-around, it's going to be tough. But Hunter Salas deserves to be mentioned because you're right. R.J. Davis has started to slip a little bit. The three-point shot is still, for the most part, pretty good. 37% is not terrible. It's not the 43, I think, that it was for a while. But it's still fine enough. Guy just can't finish at the rim right now. Anything inside the three-point arc, he has struggled massively so for a while. It took him a long time to get his first field goal in that game um, over the weekend. And so, yeah, I do think that R.J. Davis is someone that it's not as wide open, but Hunter Salas still has a ways to go if he's going to take this away. At least he's made up some ground. Biddy, what say you? Um, He closed the gap to being second and, and, and finishing second. I think he did earn... Uh, you know, he's going to be a first-team All-ACC guy with R.J. Davis in the backcourt. Look, R.J.'s numbers, maybe offensively they've dipped, but his importance and his winning plays defensively haven't. He got a big strip steal on Saturday. He got a great wraparound assist to Armando Baycott on Saturday. All these plays fueled a win for Carolina at Virginia to snap their historic losing streak. And so there's no denying that Salas is playing at a high level. Guards in Steve Forbes' system do, but... There's also, you can look at R.J. Davis and say the production has slipped, but Carolina's not winning games without him on the court. And so uh, he's the best player on the best team, and that's why I don't think it's going to matter at the end of the day. He is your ACC Player of the Year. Turning the page to talk about those Tar Heels. They won 54-44 over Virginia. The win snapped an eight-game win streak by the Cavaliers in John Paul Jones Arena. The eight straight games were the most consecutive losses for Carolina at any one arena or at any opponent's home court. Cormac Ryan led North Carolina with 18 points the first time this season. He led UNC in scoring. He's got 24 threes in the last eight games. R.J. Davis made a season-low one field goal for him, one of 14 from the field, one of eight from three, but still was able to get the job done. Armando Baycott had 13 boards, and Carolina held Virginia to 27.6% from the field, Virginia's lowest since 2013, a game they played against Wisconsin. But I think for Carolina, you found a way to win in a place that had been a house of horrors for you. Yeah, of course, you want to see more from your stars. Armando Baycott, only 10 points. R.J. Davis, 12 points. But that's the thing that good teams do is that they find a way to win no matter what, and different guys can step up at different times. I think that's what you saw with North Carolina. Even though Virginia tried to make it interesting late, the Hills found a way to get it done, and that's what good teams do. What say you walk them in? I thought they would get that win because of their defense, and that's what showed up. Virginia struggles offensively, and they've done that quite a bit this season. And so even if North Carolina had been criticized for slipping a little defensively here in the last month or so, and that's true, by the way, I still thought that their effort would show up in a much-needed victory. One, just because of the lack of history that you have at Charlottesville how bad you've been when you go play Virginia in Charlottesville. It's been terrible. I thought that would be in the back of their mind, and they wouldn't allow their effort to slip. R.J. Davis couldn't hit buckets, but then he told you, R.J. Davis's effort didn't slip there either. He's still helping you win those games, and the rebounding was a big deal. It's what we all said going into that weekend, and it did show up in a big way. So, yeah, I do think that North Carolina getting this win, it was, I think, able to show what they were able to do on one specific end of the floor. Virginia had a stretch from the field like me and Flounder on Tinder. They were one of 18 in a 13-minute <laughs> mark uh, for, or, or for 13 minutes in the first half. Tell me, guys, though, should I be concerned and little less excited? Because, boy, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a vibe in the Marlowe Mansion watching this, uh, this, lo- this losing streak in Charlottesville come to an end. Carolina never put the game away. 
mean, it was 47-42 with 2.27 to go. And I was sitting there going, if we lose this game, it's going to hurt like a you-know-what. Should Carolina <laughs> fans be concerned with as well as they defended, as well as they rebounded, they couldn't put away a team that is so inept offensively like Virginia? Yeah, I think one thing to look at about Carolina, I do feel like that they may be starting to trend a little bit down going into the ACC tournament, and I want to see if that tournament refreshes them. Also, that last matchup against Duke, because, again, we point out the uh, field goal percentage from R.J. Davis, a.k.a. Tiny Tim. I mean, R.J. Davis. Wow. Uh, the way that he's been playing the last seven games, I feel like just – I just feel like teams being more physical with him is starting to wear him down. And like I said, these last seven games, he's shooting 30, uh, 34% yeah. from the field. And so I just wonder if the season is really starting to uh, take a toll on him as we get into it. And then with Armando, it's like you worry about – is he going to be that, that superstar? Because we talked about how long he's been there. Is he going to be that guy that can pick up the slack when R.J. Davis is not on his A game and if you don't get 18 points from Cormac Ryan? I'm not worried at all about what North Carolina's performance looked like. I mean, Virginia holds teams to under 50 points quite frequently. Wake Forest's offense is amazing. They've got talent all across the board. And Virginia missed a ton of free throws in that game. And Virginia still got the win over Wake Forest in Charlottesville because the Demon Deacons couldn't put 50 points up. 50. North Carolina does here with only 54, and they hold Virginia to 44. Like, I'm good. The other thing about RJ, I'll say, as far as the ACC Player of the Year conversation and what he did, he was 1 of 14 from the field. That's terrible, no matter how you slice it. Had actually a pretty fun three that he hit, but that was the only field goal he made. Y'all, he still got to the free throw line and hit nine of his ten free throws. That's still offensive production. And if, you wanna, the line. and if you want to talk about efficiency, that's one of the great ways to improve your advanced metrics is if you get to the foul line and then hit all of your free throws. The reason I think R.J. Davis is going to win by a pretty comfortable margin, ACC Player of the Year, if you go back to the last two transfers for Wake Forest to win, Tyree Appleby and Alondis Williams, they didn't have those best players on a best team type of year that R.J. is having right now. You had Buddy Behan lead Syracuse in scoring just last year when Tyree Appleby got that award. When you go back to see what Alondis Williams did, you didn't have that number one guy for Duke. You didn't have that number one guy for North Carolina. It was Armando Baycott, but they weren't scoring up close to 20. RJ is, and Carolina is going to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament if everything just remains status quo. That's why I think eventually you'll still have a pretty wide margin. No disrespect to Salas because that dude is absolutely balling and deserves certainly second consideration, but other guys couldn't take it away from him at prominent programs the last couple of years. This year, RJ Davis already has done enough work, and you also have an impressive stretch to the end of the season. Uh, Walker Mill, quick thoughts from you. Charlotte drops one on the road to Tulsa. Are you a little worried about how Charlotte's closing out the season? Yeah, a little bit. Not great. Because now what's happened is you lost this luster from what it could have meant in this South Florida game that you have at the top of the conference at Halton Arena. And now it's not going to matter as much on this trend. Losing the way you did in the second half to Memphis. And then Tulsa, that that's disappointing. You lose on the road because of a terrible second half. Okay, fine. But against Tulsa, they were 500 in conference. 
you got to take care of that one if you're one of the best teams in your conference. They didn't, and they didn't do so. Yeah, starting to get a little worried with how they've played really the last four or five games or so. All right, other scores from the weekend. NC State beat Boston College at home 81-70. to Clemson took out Florida State 74-63. to South Carolina laid waste to Ole Miss 72-59. to And App took care of Marshall 65-58. to When we come back, it turns into Fight Radio. I'm going to give my quick thoughts on WWE Elimination Chamber. And then, folks, we're going to talk about Cam Newton and the incident that happened this weekend on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Welcome back, folks. This is the Weston Walker Show on a Monday. I am Wes Bryant here with Walker Mail. And Josh Fitty Marlowe, a.k.a. J.D. I don't know which one we got back there on the board right now. Fitty, is it uh, J.D. or is it uh, Josh? Is it Fitty right now? I, I, I think today, Wes, it's it's Fitty. With all the Ducate, it's it's Fitty. I would have checked you on that. It, fe- it feels like Fitty showed up for work today. <laughs> okay. Which is good, though. I want there are, there are times where I'd rather have Fitty show up. And I, I wanted Fitty to show up more so than I wanted J.D. to show up. Okay, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you like Fitty. Do you like J.D.? I like actually I think I might like JD more at times. I like the idea of JD. I still think Fitty fights for him. I think with the multiple personality disorder that you're experiencing, I still think Fitty fights to get through and be the lead dog and JD tries to hold him back, but Fitty's too strong for that man. He's not taking no for an answer. He is making sure that he comes up to the front. I'm glad that someone likes Fitty or JD cuz no, no women not. like either three of Josh, JD or Fitty. Ain't that right, Wes? Yeah, man. <laughs> What you got for us, Wes? You uh, you bringing in the? Yeah, you, I was waiting until okay. we were all done okay. with that. I thought we were still uh, doing anything or uh, talking about the other stuff. All right, folks. Well, uh, I promise before the break, uh, we had Elimination Chamber at WWE this weekend. Uh, I enjoyed the pay-per-view over there in Perth, Australia. Uh, had some great matches in there. Drew McIntyre winning uh, the Men's Elimination Chamber in grand fashion. And for you guys, I know Walker and Fitty, you guys don't know about this, but the Elimination Chamber is different in that it's in a giant steel cage uh, with, I believe, it's five participants. And they're like in... Uh, like little pseudo like cylinders, like glass cylinders that you can open up like and they come out after a certain amount of time. They start with two people. The rest of the defenders or the rest of the uh, challengers are inside of these cases and they have to wait their turn before they can enter the match. And then it's a free for all. So and then the winners of those events get to go uh, have a spot in the world championship matches at WrestleMania. So there's a lot uh, on the line. It sounds dangerous. Elimination oh, yeah, it's chamber. Lit. People get tackled through uh, the, the cages that the guys are waiting in. So they, they go through the plexiglass or whatever that is that they have. Dudes are jumping off of stuff, jumping off the cages. It gets a little bit wild. Like a bunch of unruly Wake Forest students? They do. It gets real crazy. <laughs> unruly in there uh, as well. Then uh, the women's elimination chamber, Becky Lynch won that one. That was really cool. Uh, Rhea Ripley defended her championship against Nia Jackson, got that done in front of her home people, man. So it was a pretty cool event. So the WWE fan 
fans. You can drop your notes into the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610, and let me know uh, what you thought about the event. But also, there was another main event this weekend, uh, one in the youth football fashion, talking about Cam Newton. You know him, you love him here in the Queen City. And according to Nehemiah Mitchell, the co-founder of We Ball Sports, who once played football at Vanderbilt, said that everybody that was involved in the altercation was removed because Top Shelf Performance, they are a team that sponsors a travel football team just like Cam Newton does. Word was that they had beaten Cam Newton's team the day before. Lots of trash talk that resulted in a scuffle uh, the next day. There were 16 teams uh, in each division of this tournament with the top under-18 team earning a $5,000 prize. The top under-15 team uh, receiving 1500 and over 1500 people uh, attended the event. And so everybody was removed. They said that the company is addressing the matter internally. And... Uh, It was just an ugly event and a black eye uh, just for everyone involved. So, Fiddy, let's go ahead and cue this thing up because I got a couple of extra things I want to add on this matter. Let's get this thing going. Let's go to the foul line. They'll look at this to see whether this is a flagrant. That was scary. I don't even even know if I want to see that again. (laughs) You've got to think that's going to be a flagrant. The question is, is it a one or a two? performance you come out there on your videos first of all you already want to insult cam newton i go and look at your team photos the coaches on there taking photos with their players in ski masks so you already know what time it is if things aren't going their way and for them to get into it and get into a fight at an event for youth who are trying to be seen who are trying to advance themselves to become college athletes It's absolutely absurd. You should be embarrassed with yourself. I'm a black man. I was embarrassed to see all these black men getting into a fight at an event for youth. It was absolutely embarrassing. Cam Newton held his own as he should. But the bottom line is, if this was Peyton Manning's camp, if this was Justin Herbert, Drew Brees, any quarterback, let's just keep it real. This ain't happening there. People aren't at Peyton Manning's camp insulting him and Eli, but y'all love to go to Cam Newton's camp and give him hell about it. Then you're going to have the audacity to jump the man. I don't care what was said. I don't know what was said on the field. I don't care. It was embarrassing, and they should have carried themselves a lot better than that. Let's just call it what it is. Like I said, I'm a black man. I can say it. It wouldn't have happened at a camp that was held by a white quarterback. We don't see that type of stuff. But with Cam Newton, we feel like it's okay if something gets said that they don't like, that they can start fights and try to jump the man and do all this stuff. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was embarrassing. Yes, we were all entertained to see Cam Newton holding himself down against four other men. But at the end of the day, when it comes to events like this, where we're supposed to be setting examples for young men to show them what to do and what not to do, you showed them exactly what not to do. And it is embarrassing, and it should not happen ever again. And as I said, I I just couldn't believe it when I saw my eyes. That's all I got to say on the matter. Top shelf performance chose the wrong man to bleep with.
I said bleep and the bleep came. I didn't mean for that to happen, y'all. I apologize. I didn't realize I had this kind of power. I was trying to use it. I will try to use it a little more responsibly. I would love to know when that was hitting so then I could say something and then it sounded like you had to bleep me out or dump me. <laughs> and then we come back from it because the timing was almost there. It was almost perfect. Yeah, man, Cam Newton, everything you said, Wes, it matters. You said you can say it because you're a black man. I'll go ahead and let you say it. All good. I'm here for the comedy of some of this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for that too. Bring me the comedy. <laughs> because Cam Newton being 6'6 six, six and 260, what were they saying? Like 240? Nah, man, he ain't 240. He's a yeah. big dude. And I don't know how much fat he's got on him, but he, not is, much. he is not one of these guys after the NFL to let himself go. Ain't nowhere, no sign of that whatsoever. And man, that is a lot of people that he is just taking control of. I felt bad for Josh Norman a little bit because it didn't feel like Josh Norman was catching a lot of strays. Norman and Cam are cool, by the way. Like, those guys are boys, I think. But it reminded everybody of the picture of Cam in training camp holding Josh Norman by the shoulder pads up front, having complete control of the situation as they're falling to the ground and slamming him, boom, right on the field and standing over him or even just laying over him. Where Cam Newton has complete control there against a pro football player. Yeah. And all these guys from top shelf performance, man, you were not top shelf at all. You were more like some of the. (laughs) You were aristocrat. You were aristocrat. And iron gut. No, man. You were, you were not, you were not Patron. Okay. You were way further down. You were not top shelf anything. And Cam Newton was. It was amazing. Plus, my man kept his hat on. I mean, Cam Newton is the real deal here, even though it's not like I want to see this. But it is hilarious to talk about how Cam was able to hold himself well enough with four guys, like four dudes coming at him like that. Yeah, man, I just don't feel like anybody should be really fighting Cam Newton in any moment. At that setting, for sure, in front of all of the kids that were just there to showcase their skills on 7-on-7 or in a back alley, nowhere, man. Shouldn't really be messing with that. Yeah, man, it was absolutely ridiculous. But what also I feel like the Panthers fans will feel like is ridiculous is their hopes to uh, get T. Higgins at this point because he was tagged uh, over the weekend. The Bengals made their first big decision on the offseason. They put the franchise tag on wide receiver T. Higgins. The move positions the Bengals to retain Higgins for at least one more season. Should they fail to come to a long-term agreement before July 15th, Higgins will be restricted to a one-year deal with the club worth $21.816 million, which is the league-wide franchise tag amount for wide receivers in 2024. Walker, were you disappointed with the fact that T. Higgins was franchise tagged, or did you expect it? Oh yeah, I don't. I didn't see this going any other way. Mm. T. Higgins was always going to get. Plus, they did this so early; they knew what they were going to be doing last year. This is not the first off season that we saw T. Higgins and the Cincinnati Bengals go round for round trying to figure out what the future was going to look like. We did this exact same thing last year, and once the problem occurred a year before, everybody knew what time it was. Once we rolled around to March 26th in 2024, they were going to get that tag. That's how it was with T. Higgins, man. And so the fact that you have so much money to shell out to Joe Burrow, you also know you're going to have to pay Jamar Chase. You also would like to shore up that offensive line to keep Joe Burrow as healthy as possible. T. Higgins, it's going to be tough to have all of these different luxuries. T. Higgins is a guy I don't think will be with Cincinnati. I think he'll probably be gone. They're going to have a lot of different options at their disposal up in Cincy. But I do think T. Higgins is going to leave. And this was always going to be the path. Cincinnati was going to tag him to figure out what they wanted to do. It buys them time 
until they get to the March 5th date, and then they'll figure out what to do from there. But I always expected this to happen. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I wasn't really surprised. And so I think that, you know, for the Panthers, and I think a lot of Panthers fans, I think that they uh, expected this. And so now with that said, T. T. Higgins looks like he's not going to be a guy that's going to be available. So which top-tier wide receiver do you think that Carolina is most likely to get at this point? Is it going to be Mike Evans? Uh, Mike, Mike, they have a chance at Michael Pittman. What, what do you think? What do you see happening? Mike Evans is the guy that comes to mind for me, even though I think it's unlikely that they'll get any of them. I just think with, with, with Mike Evans compared to Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman is also playing for a young quarterback that the Colts are going to help out. So why would you let Michael Pittman, who already has at least some experience with Anthony Richardson, who is going to be the starting quarterback next year as long as he's healthy, why would you let that guy out of the building? If you want to help out your young QB, you surround him with weapons as much as you possibly can. Josh Downs is on a rookie-scale contract, who's also a pretty big part of what they did last year in the passing game. And so you already have what is a secondary slot type of wide receiver. We're trying to take talent away from him. No, I think Michael Pittman's going back to Indianapolis. You go to T. Higgins. If Carolina is going to trade for T. Higgins, Brian Burns is one way that you could possibly do that. But if you don't want to get rid of Brian Burns, and now that you have the salary cap go up, which I guess affects Cincinnati too, maybe they just decide to keep T. Higgins at the end of the day as well. But I don't want to give up any draft capital. We've already given up way too much of that here in Carolina. Even if I think there's a case that could be made that it was worth it, For T. Higgins, a guy that I think is a number one option in in this league, I don't want to just be willy-nilly getting rid of draft capital, especially with all that they've already gotten rid of. So with T. Higgins, okay, draft capital it would take to trade for him. Michael Pittman, I don't expect to leave the Colts organization. If we're talking about Mike Evans compared to those guys, Mike Evans has that relationship with the coaching staff. And even if I think that's been overplayed, because I think Mike probably just wants to go chase some rings or just go be with a contender at least money does talk enough and i know that caroline is pretty desperate to give bryce young some help around him and so i think that's the way that i would expect i i don't know if i would put my money on mike coming over to carolina but if we're saying what's the likelihood or what's the what's the more likely thing of happening between mike t higgins and michael Pittman, i think i would go with mike evans at this point um Man, it's so interesting because I think if the Colts don't franchise tag Michael Pittman, which I've seen rumors that they may not, I think the Panthers have a shot. I think they get one of those top-tier receivers. Uh, I I just do. I just feel like that the Panthers are going to have enough money. I think that they can persuade guys. Now, Mike Evans, I think that the rub with him is going to be where he's at in his career. Because I think of all things being equal, if you have Michael Pittman on the open market, I think he's still a relatively young receiver. While, yes, he wants to win championships, but I also think money can talk for him. And I think that he would like Bryce Young and understand to come in and be the number one guy here. I think with the type of quarterback that Bryce Young is, I think he could feel like he could really come in here and establish himself as one of the top receivers in the league. Whereas with Mike Evans, excuse me, I think the only thing that it comes down to is is he at the point in his career where he really wants to go for another ring? Is he a guy that says, because Kansas City right now has the odds on to land him. So is he a guy that says, I'm at a point in my career, yeah, I love my stats, I like getting my numbers, but I want to go win. And does he say, I want to go to a Kansas City or someone like that where he feels like he can really be in the mix to win a championship? But if that's not where his focus is, or if he feels like he could be a part of a turnaround here in Carolina, 
then maybe I think that that could persuade him as well. But I still think that the Panthers do end up getting one of these receivers. I just feel like somehow, some way, they're going to get one of those guys uh, at the top. Jeremy Fowler did have the report on Mike Evans that he wants to retire a Buccaneer, and the team is attempting to resign the veteran receiver in a major way. It's a no-brainer to me. This is Jeremy Fowler continuing to speak, I believe. Signed one of the greatest players in franchise history officially on March 13th and put this talk behind them. I believe also that was Corey Hayes uh, tweeting about that. Either way, yeah, Mike Evans could be going back to Tampa the problem is, I, I could see that going awry just because Tampa also has to pay some different dudes down there that are really talented. Antoine Winfield, I know, is a popular franchise tag candidate there. And the fact that Cincinnati doesn't really have another one, but Tampa does, maybe that's the door that could be open for Carolina to swoop in and get somebody that would really help with what Bryce Young does. Calvin Ridley, I think you expect to re-sign with Jacksonville, but maybe because it's not going to be as much money, maybe that's the guy they decide to go after. Or maybe they decide to try to draft a wide receiver that's going to be real talented at 33 and then spend less money to build around Mingo there already. You do have Thielen under contract, and he's not going anywhere. And so while it does feel like they need to upgrade a lot of different positions, if you get another really good wide receiver, then... Okay, like that's already leaps and bounds ahead of what you were last year by just getting one of those guys in the building. That That's going to be a fascinating position to see how Carolina addresses it. All right, folks, well, when we come back, Walker Mail was out on the town this weekend. Went to check out Charlotte FC. We're going to find out that experience he had and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. This corner kick is brought to you by Daimler Trucks. They will donate $100 for charity for every corner kick Charles has this season. A shot toward the middle. A shot to score! It's Adelson Milanda! Who opens the scoring for Charlotte on a set piece! And Daimler Trucks will not only give $100 to charity, but because it results in a goal, $1,000 to the corner kicks for kids! This segment brought to you by Daimler Trucks. Willie P. Making sure that he pays the bills and gives you Mickey Mouse on a goal call. Willie P., the legend. We appreciate him for calling that goal in a 1-0 victory over New York City. Charlotte FC. Had the city buzzing. Starting off the season, 1-0. Three points. I know that because I attended and now I know all about soccer. So, Feed me your soccer questions. All right, Pele. No, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. You can still text us, though, if you want to. Did you go to the game, and how was it? 704-570-9610. That's the FanDuel text line. 704-570-9610. Walker, we, we know after the weekend you're well-versed in the game of footy. Mm-hmm. You're also a diehard college basketball or just a basketball fan in general. Rumor has it that up 1-0 in the 70th minute, Dean Smith deployed the soccer version of the four corners. Can you confirm or deny? Yeah, he sure did. Held on to the footy ball, as they like to say. I don't think they do like to say that. (laughs) But they held on to the ball forever and uh, were able to execute that plan perfectly in order to get the victory. No, in fact, they weren't doing that at the very end of this game. I can't confirm it. 
if they just held possession for a long time, then I might be able to. But reality is, New York City had their chances. I mean, they blew a wide-open goal opportunity right there, smack dab in front, and dude overshot it. Just kicked it right over the goal, and instead, Charlotte FC was able to get this win. Even FC, they missed a PK. And that was something that was blocked right at the center. It, I, it felt like it felt like you could have gone, um, of course, either way. But of course, you see the goalie just not even have to move all that much and be able to block that PK. And so Charlotte FC still able to get the win. At least they're one and zero. But let me tell you, the atmosphere it was fun. Lots of people showed up. People sixty two thousand. People very very excited about Charlotte FC season starting. It was cold as hell out there, man. It was brutal for me. Oh, yeah. I know you were hurt. And I was an idiot because I looked at the weather app, and I'd spent all day outside just working on different stuff, and so it was fine. The wind wasn't getting to me, I guess, in the backyard. Maybe the house was blocking the wind. I don't know. But it was crazy windy. And so I'm looking at the weather app, and it was like low 50s at that time. I was like, all right, I'll just put on a pullover. That's about it, and then I'll be cool because it's not supposed to get real cold until later on. But I just didn't see the wind. And the wind chill, I don't know what it was. I don't know what the wind chill was, but it destroyed me and everybody else I was sitting alongside. <laughs> it wasn't just me, by the way. The entire stadium, certainly up in that upper deck, everybody had blankets on. They were shivering. They would have to take breaks going back to the concourse. Every It was it was cold, and the wind was killing us. That's what it was. Big walk. You didn't look at the hour by hour or the wind? I did. I didn't see the wind though. I just mm. didn't. I just didn't look at the wind enough. But but even if I was, because I had a sweatshirt on, and so I was. I didn't have a big parka, but everybody else was like freezing because it didn't matter how prepared they were. And that's my analysis on what happened. Great goal. It was fun. The atmosphere was great. I hope the weather is better next time. And uh, I'll be back out there. Hmm. But I didn't even want to reach for my beer. It was so cold. That's how bad it was. It took me forever. I had to finish in like stoppage time. So you didn't get desperate enough to go to the team shop to buy you something that was going to warm No, I did. I got a sweatshirt. I got a sweatshirt at the okay. team shop because I needed to. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> maybe we parlay this into Willie will be back in studio with us on Wednesday. Last week, he showed up with hats for all three of us. Mm-hmm. Does Willie Claus show up with scarves for all three of us? That way, the next time that we're out. We're warm while cheering on the crowd. That would be cool. I already have one, though. I got one during the uh, the minted season, if you will, to and keep a Charlotte FC's theme. Didn't I didn't wear work. it. No, I wasn't prepared. I'm admitting that I was not as prepared. Even the people that were were really cold. But I'm telling you, yeah, I probably suffered a little bit more. So, so and maybe this is too personal. Was your girlfriend also underprepared or, or was she prepared for said cold and you were there looking like the idiot? Uh, the latter. Yep. I was looking like the idiot, and she was good to go. Everything was fine with her. This wouldn't have happened if you would have taken me. I don't think that's true. But <laughs> it is all right. I can already sense the comment coming. I could have warmed you up, something weird like that. Nope, we're going to keep on rolling right through yeah. because I don't want to hear anything else he has to say about that. We should all go to a Charlotte FC game. We though, do need to do that, and we will. Once once the weather warms up, it will be a lot better. And I imagine you know, maybe next time they play, because they're going to wait a while. I think it's at the end of March. Is it March 23rd? Am I wrong about that? Their next home game? No, maybe their next home game. Say they're they're okay. at Vancouver this Saturday. That's what I'm saying. Okay, the next home game. So it'll be a little bit before we're able to go back there. We got people writing in on the text line about the wide receiver combo. You can text us again, 704-570-9610 on the FanDuel text line. Big Cat Dan write it, uh, writes in, we'll end up with Gabe Davis and a cap casualty or, or two. 
um, at the wideout position. That's an upgrade. It would be an upgrade. It definitely would. And then Bebop from Rock Thrill writes in, what is Canalysis and Idzik's philosophy on tight ends? Which is another way that they could help out Bryce Young. We keep going back to what they had in Cade Otten at Tampa Bay. And Cade was somebody that came along as the season did and was a big part of their passing attack in the postseason, even if his numbers weren't great. But the thing about Cade Otten's numbers is you compare him to what the tight ends did here in Carolina, and they're better. They're by a decent margin. No, he's not out here threatened for 1,000 yards, but you give him something like 500, yeah, I'll take that any day. I'll take that any year at this point because it's been so tough post-Greg Olson. And so I wonder if that's something they look to attack, Wes. Maybe they don't get a top-flight wide receiver, but they could still really upgrade this passing attack by going after a Gabe Davis. I know you've been a fan of Tyler Boyd. Whoever is in that second or third tier at the wide receiver market, and then maybe you look to try to address the tight end spot via trade or just via out there on free agency because tight end money isn't the same as wide receiver money. And maybe you view that as a big upgrade for Bryce Young on who he's able to throw to. Yeah, my thing is, too, is that you just... At this point, if you're the Carolina Panthers, you're looking for weapons wherever you can find them. And when you look at the free agent class, it's not overly impressive. I mean, according to PFF, Dalton Schultz is your number one free agent target uh, when you talk about tight ends this year. And then after that, you go Hunter Henry and Noah Fant. So these aren't names where you get any of these guys and you think that you're going to change life. Now, maybe, you know, if you make some moves and make some cuts, you can pick up some guys uh, for some depth, like you have guys like Austin Hooper and remember that name, Gerald Everett, that'll oh, be yeah. out there on the free agent market. So it's not like that is robust with playmakers. I think that Canales and Idzik are going to be looking for guys that can simply make plays, give them matchup advantages, and allow them to be able to impose their will on other teams offensively. And if tight end is a position where they can find a guy where that can happen, I think it will. But I wouldn't expect huge moves in that department. As I just said, the free agency class doesn't look spectacular. The NFL draft class, while it may be solid, I don't see the Panthers with only six picks using that to address a need uh, unless there's just some unforeseen circumstance where maybe a guy that's got a first-round grade drops down to them and then they pick them up. If they had just like a normal first-round pick, you know, maybe, I don't know, somewhere between 8 to 13, would you guys want to draft Brock Bowers? Yes. Would you go after him even more so than some of the other wide receivers? That because let's just let's just say, Adunze, neighbors, of course, Marvin Harrison are all off the board. So those guys aren't in consideration to draft that wide out. And then also maybe Fashano, like who right, like the tackles that are expected to go top ten. Is Bowers next on that list? just to have somebody dynamic at that position yeah. like they haven't had since Greg Olson. Yeah, I mean, I think if you run into a scenario, obviously, I mean, we're talking about if there's an offensive lineman there, then you got to take the offensive lineman, in my opinion. But Brock Bowers would be very hard to turn down just because of everything he brings to the table. He is the type of guy that you want in this new age NFL, in this passing league. He is a matchup advantage. This is a guy they can have advantages on linebackers, defensive backs, whether you're talking about size or quickness and speed, his run after the catch. Uh, he is a playmaker. He is a difference maker. So I think if you were the Panthers and he was sitting there, depending on who else is there as well, he'd be hard to turn down, man. I feel like tight end is becoming the position that we took for granted. You can tell me if there's another position that comes to mind on the FanDuel text line. But remember left tackle. We were set for so long with Jordan Gross. We were good. 
we didn't need to look for left tackle. And then he retired, and then we couldn't find one. And I think the jury's still out on whether they found one in Iki Kwanu. And some people would say the jury's in. It's just in a negative way. So then once we didn't have Jordan Gross anymore, then we were like, whew, buddy. Now, I don't, I think people liked Jordan Gross. People understood how good he was, but it's just, it smacks you in the face once it becomes a need again. And that was the same thing with tight end. Because we can go back and look at Greg Olson having the three consecutive years of amassing a thousand yards. But even when he wasn't getting a thousand, he was still getting you 700, 800. Even when he was in decline, he was still giving you like five or six, something like that. And now you, that's the high end. I, I don't know if there are any other positions like that where we were set for so long. Maybe linebacker is one that we constantly go to. Yeah. Frankie Louvu comes in. I think we're right back. Not He was not as good as TD. I'm not trying to get it too twisted, but Frankie's very good. I want him back on this squad. And so it feels like when you're set for so long at one position and then you don't have that guy, that's something we took for granted. I'd put quarterback up there. Like it, They've not had all pros all the time, but you felt pretty good about who your starting quarterback was going to be for most of your Carolina Panthers lifetime. And since Cam Newton got hurt and they moved on from him, it's been Teddy, Sam Darnold, and we still don't know about Bryce. It's it's tough at a couple positions that we were so set at. And part of these things are going to be fixed by just getting enough talent in the first place. Yeah. They, they got a lot of upgrades that they want to hit. You can text us again, 704-570-9610. One more hour to go here on Wesson Walker. We'll give you a preview of the NFL Combine coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.